0: Good morning, church. And I want to welcome those who are able to join us through a live stream this morning. Walking up here and the first thought in my head was, I miss my wife. It's all right, she checked up on me and we agreed on a list of things that I needed to work on while she was gone, so I stayed out of trouble mostly. Not completely, but mostly, uh, I do want to take a moment and uh, on the inside of your worship folder in the back, down at the not on the very back inside bottom, uh, we're working toward a project of recarpeting uh, different areas of the church, doing it in phases, and uh, just want you to know that phase one doing the fellowship hall has already been fully funded. And we are working toward actually the covering of this room here. Uh, in talking with those who will be doing the work, just to remind you, our part of it is we get to take up the old carpet in preparation for them putting down the new carpet. So once we have carpeting picked out for the fellowship hall, in this case, uh, We will be able to have a turnaround of after Awana on a Wednesday night on Thursday and through the weekend to pull up the carpet and then to have the new carpet laid down in time for the following Wednesday's Awana. Uh, That doesn't include putting the Awana circle down, and so Ed will have a great challenge on his hand that night, but he's not here to know that. and no spray paint. I want to give a mm, uh, uh, mm, invitation to young people, I was going to say up through middle school, but if, if this is a motivation for you for a high schooler, Uh, this idea was given to me last week after I had great success in motivating a couple of young guys to take sermon notes. That there was a time, I'm not, I didn't hear which pastor did this, but I love the idea, uh, of, if you take notes for a certain amount of time, let's go for, you know, a couple of months or so, and, uh, get them back to me, we will have a pizza bash. So here's kind of what I would like you to do though, not just take the notes and like put them in my mailbox, because that won't really help you. My goal is to help you. If you take some notes and that afternoon you have a conversation with your parents about the sermon and they sign off on that and then turn that in. Because if you, as you talk it out loud, as you process it, it makes it a little bit more, helps it go a little bit deeper into applying it. And I know maybe some college students are like, can I have some pizza? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> what I really want to do, though, is this. Uh, this message and the next few in this mini-series, uh, I would say uh, the avenue of sacred ground between you and the Lord, of inviting him, giving him permission, joining him and doing some deep things in your life. So I feel like I, I need to get real small and invite you to do what Judy will often say when it comes to worship, that you would make in your mind's eye an altar between you and the Lord. And let's just pray for a moment and invite him to come and have his way among us. Would you do that with me? Father, no words can be spoken in the power of man that can touch the human heart, touch the soul. Unless it's energized and empowered and anointed by your Spirit, this really will be, to a great degree, a waste of time. Even as we studied in Sunday school today, to to simply study the Word without hearing from your Spirit and understanding where you are taking us and speaking to us is just an academic exercise at best. I pray that it would not be that for any of us here or any of us who are watching this online. We invite you to do your work among us so that we might be changed from the inside out to be more like Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, if you would follow along with me. James 4, 7 through 10 Now, to fully understand those words and their application to our lives, we need to begin by understanding the context that they're found in, and that context is found in verse one of this chapter, which we looked at last week. In that study, we were introduced by James to a concept that I would term the jealous love of God. Jed, I don't know if it's loud out there for everybody, but for me, I hear an echoing. If it's okay for you guys, then I will just keep going. If it's a little loud, maybe turn me down just a little bit. Thank you. Because I'm just getting distracted in my head, and I can't help you. (laughs) The jealous love of God. See that in verse 5. This jealous love understand is ignited in God's heart, we need to understand it is indeed ignited in his heart by what James refers to as spiritual adultery, which is introduced to us in verse 4. Spiritual adultery, we learn, is more than a bentness to sin. It is beyond somebody struggling with sin or our struggle against sin. Spiritual adultery is my embrace of it it's important to understand that designation no longer in spiritual adultery are we just struggling against, rather I have embraced. You've embraced not only the behavior, but you've embraced literally the earth. Whatever that area in your life is, you're looking to suck the life out of that thing. You're hoping to get something from it that God is the only one intended to give. Now, we will always, on this side of heaven, struggle with being pulled toward or bending to the earth to find some source of life. We're all going to battle with that. But this is beyond struggle with or a struggle against. We're always going to be bent, but when we go to spiritual adultery, it's we have embraced it. There is an attachment to We have decided to go there for life. And from that position, we learned last week that we enter into a conflict. According to James 4, 1 through 6, that conflict, three levels. I battle a rage within me. I battle myself. I battle with others in how it impacts relationships. And I battle, I enter into a conflict with God, verse 4. James says, don't you know that your friendship with the world, the embrace of the world, not a struggle, but with a friendship, is hatred or hostility toward God. The question is, why is my embrace of sin considered a hostile act toward God? We went over this before, but it bears repeating. You see, even in our spiritual adultery, God is not hostile toward us. He's not hostile toward me. However, our adu- our adultery is hostility toward him. Remember, we came not to not only to a king, but we came to the king. We came not only to a savior, we came to the savior. We came not to just a really good deal of amazing grace. We came to a really good deal, amazing grace. But in addition to those things, when we came to God through Christ, we came to a groom, and we are his bride. We got more when we came into faith in Christ than a ticket to heaven when I die. We got a marriage. And whether you understand that or not, you need to know that you entered into a covenant relationship. It's more than a promise, a love relationship. It is a marriage. He is the groom. I am. We are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, the Spirit of God says to the bride, I will not share you with another. I will not share you with another. In our spiritual adultery, God is not hostile toward us. Rather, our adultery is hostile a hostile act toward him. But please know this, while God is not hostile toward his bride, he is jealous. Verse five, and we talked about the jealous love of God saying how he will oppose us, verse six, in everything we do, in every step we take to try to get life in something other than him. My question is this. Even when believers, beyond bentness, embrace the world, God calls it adultery, can you, from that grievous sin, recover? Not just sleeping in the basement, spiritually, but really recover. To return all the joy, to return to all the passion, to return to all the intimacy and all the fullness of the marriage that God intends for us, that he intends for us to experience and enjoy? Well, the answer to that question, gratefully, is yes. And the reason to that answer being yes is, no surprise, grace. Grace. However, the road to that grace that recovers intimacy with God must begin with one singular step. Repentance. The process of that repentance is often painful. Rarely quick. And in a culture like ours that is always looking for quick fixes, always looking for easy answers, always looking for the proverbial magic wand, we need to understand that real repentance is often a process. To change my mind... From something that I have embraced. To change my mind from something that I have said, that is life. To break the embrace. To turn around back to the open arms of Christ. There is, I believe, in dealing with both physical and spiritual adultery, what I would refer to as the road to recovery. And James 1, I believe, in verses 7 through 10, maps out that road. For us, even the the seven components, a chart, a course, they reveal the ingredients, if you will. They show the way to authentic recovery from spiritual adultery. Now, I've already read the passage, so let me just give them to you in bullet points. Submit to God, resist the devil, reject the devil... Draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, grieve and mourn, humble yourself. One of the things that occurs to me about that list or those steps that James gives, that this, these markers on this road to recovery, what occurs to me is this. You don't do all of that in one day. Let me say it this way. All of those things don't fully happen. They're not fully implemented in your life, in your spirit, in one trip after a service to ask for prayer. Here's why. Because when you begin this process of recovery, when you begin this process of repentance into real healing, you and I are not even aware of all the ways that we are double-minded. I'm just picking that out of the end of verse 8. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what? The first day that you and I repent of being double-minded, when when I first realized, you know, I've been trying to live in two worlds. I'm trying to do the Christian thing, but I have my foot over here as well. And And I'm sick of it, and I sense the Spirit of God calling me, and I'm, I'm turning back fully to God. When that happens, it's an amazing experience. There, there's a, a singularity of focus in one's life, bringing your heart to one place. But we need to understand something on that day when you recognize your spiritual adultery and a a coming back as as healing as that was, the moment of it, the understanding of it, the acknowledgement of it, it's just the beginning of the process of discovering all the different ways that my heart really is divided. A process of discovering all the different ways that my heart is divided, subtle ways that I don't even see on that first day. Does that make sense? You're just starting to peel the first layer of the onion. When you're in a worship service, maybe you're at a conference, maybe you're at life, maybe you're at summer camp, and an invitation is given at the end of a time of ministry, and, and, and you come forward for prayer, and you're responding in a positive way, God, God wants you to do something, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you've experienced that, there was something very specific that the Spirit of God was dealing with you about at that time. Something very specific pointing to you that he wanted you to deal with. Would you agree with that? But here's the important truth. As much as you and I are made of, aware of our need for receiving cleansing in that area or that awareness of conviction that that brings a, a brokenness on that day at that time. We had no idea of all the different ways that the spirit of God wanted to move in our hearts. And it changed us. In fact, we weren't even aware of all the different ways that I had ties to this and ties to that. But as you enter into the process, the Spirit of God does and will reveal to us other areas in our lives that He wants us to surrender to, that He wants us to deal with. Isn't that true? Let me take it back to some familiar, some familiar territory just before we move on. Ephesians 1 through 3. This is who you are in Christ. You are, your hands are cleansed. You have been purified. You have been forgiven. Ephesians 4 through 6. I need to live that out. And if we're honest, though I, my hands are pure, I get my hands in all sorts of stuff, don't I? As I'm living this life. Things that he doesn't want my hands to be a part of. Romans 6, identity. You have been free from sin. It has no hold on you. That's who you are. Romans 7, (laughs) why don't I live that? Why do I struggle with it? And I don't, and I do. Romans 8, walking by, living in the fullness of the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing, by the changing of your mind. To realize it's not okay that I do this and Paul already addressed it. Heaven forbid that, oh, because I'm forgiven, I can do anything I want. Paul says, that is absolutely ridiculous. Listen. An embrace of the world, an embrace of some area in your life is not broken the embrace is not broken simply by your identity in Christ it doesn't change your identity in Christ but your identity doesn't break it alone embrace often leads to stronghold that you need to be set free from and that step toward freedom begins in verse 7 of James chapter 4. With these words. Submit yourselves then to God. And with that, you and I begin a process. With that, we're on the road to recovery. But make no mistake about it, James's recovery program from spiritual adultery is not about getting in touch with your inner child. It's not about working up your self esteem. What it's about is this. In the mind of James, the critical issue for authentic recovery, specifically from spiritual adultery, from that embrace, boils down to one word. It's a really important word. Repentance. And authentic repentance always begins with this in verse 7. Submit to God. You know why recovery begins there? Because when you and I come to God through Christ, we need to understand that we came to more than a groom. A little bit ago, I said we need to understand that we came to more than a Savior. We also came to more than a groom. We also need to understand that we came not just to a groom, but we came to a king the king. That is, you and I came to the sovereign Lord of the universe, to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. That is a fundamental thing that we need to understand, that he is God, and I am not. Deal with that. My good friend, Don Romano, in his testimony will tell you that as a teen, though he had grown up in a religious home, and though he had been hearing the gospel, his investigation to make sure it was the right gospel, he did a study into all sorts of different religions. When he came to realize that Christianity was the one true faith, what he knew he needed to settle on the front end. You are God, and I am not. When you do deal with that and receive that fact, then the road to recovery begins. But that acknowledgement is fundamental. Until that is settled or settled again, it's just another study that I'm doing. It's just another discussion that I had with somebody. It's just another book I read. But no transformation, no lasting change, and I will remain stuck. So let's start with this first step in the road to recovery. Submit to God. tasso. Just want to throw out, impress you, Greek word, hupotasso, submit, to submit. It means to line up under. Literally, to align yourself under the authority of God, to come underneath and accept his right to rule your life. His right to rule your life to understand and accept that fact that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's not your life. It's not your time. It's not your money. You are not your own. Submitting to God is aligning yourself underneath his right To rule your life every area of your life. It's an interesting nuance in this word in the Greek. It has a military flavor to it. Such as how a soldier would align himself under the authority of the general and the general's leading and direction. However, what really caught my attention was not just that definition, but the essence is this. To submit, hubatasso, is to come under the authority of someone, but it's not done in the context of having been drafted. This word is used to describe somebody who has enlisted. They have chosen to come underneath the authority of another. Pull all that together, and the spirit behind the meaning of this word is this. Enlist me under the authority of God. Sign me up. I willingly place myself under the authority of God in every area of my life. Question. If you've kind of checked out a little bit, bringing you back in, because I'm going to give you an assignment right now that you get to do right now. Are you ready? Don't say it out loud to me. I want you to talk to somebody next to you. Here's the question. What must I do, what what must you do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Go ahead, talk among yourselves, have a conversation. What must you do to be saved? Here we go. What must I do to come into a right relationship with God through Christ? The answer, believe, confess, receive, and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Obviously, each one of those things need to be explained. Believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was and is confess my shortcomings, my sin, receive his gift of grace, of eternal life, his gift of forgiveness, and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I want to add something to the list of what it means to come to a saving faith in Christ because while we do need to believe and confess and receive and accept we also need to submit to god to align myself under the authority of god to accept his rule 1st corinthians 6 19 and 20 for you are not your own you've been bought with a price next question what must i do to recover from spiritual adultery. What must I do to recover from the embrace? Not just my struggle against some area of sin, but something I've embraced in my life that I hold on to. How do I recover from that? Same answer. Submit to God. Step one. Maybe it's submit to God again. Come back. Choose to align yourself underneath, again, under his authority, God's given right to rule your life. You are God, and I am not. So I wonder how many of us, in a place that we value and hold up, Authenticity, no hiding, no masks. Well, you know what I mean. I wonder how many of us need to submit to come under the authority of God again. Perhaps you've been acting like it's your life. It's your time. It's your money. It's trying to help you out. It's not. Some people in my life, I know they have a really strong will. In some cases in their life, in some places in their life, it is a real strength to persevere. But this is one place where you will battle against God until you settle this issue. You're not Lord. The road to recovery starts with this. Submission to God. However, a common mistake in this particular dynamic of submission is having the impression that if I get there, or when I've been there, or when I come there again, <sighs> I'm done. Because that was really hard. Whew. You don't know what I worked through, Pastor. Yeah, I do. Been there. Let me try to flesh this out a little bit. The reason we tend to think that when we finally come to that point of saying, God, I'm coming back under your authority. You're right to rule my life. I'm going to surrender to you again. The reason we think we're done is because generally at those times in our lives, when we really do submit to him, maybe it was the first time, maybe it's again, his right to rule. The reason we think we're done is because it's often accompanied with a major breakthrough in our life. They represent for us significant 180 degree turns, a new direction, a new commitment, radical, so different from the way I was heading. They're life changing. And so full of emotion and often remorse, it feels like nothing could be bigger than this. We kind of get past it and we go, Whew! I am glad I am done with that. But here's the truth. And it may sound a little scary, and for others you may not like it, but the truth is we're not done. We just started. We just started. It's not unlike recovering from physical adultery. The day that you decided, you know, I'm sick of this relationship. I'm tired of the pain it's causing me and those around me. I'm leaving this. I'm going back home. And at that point in time, there's this radical change of behavior. Tremendous remorse. Lots of tears. Radical. And, and and in the first few months, perhaps a number of years, that you've thought I'm gonna see my family restored. And and you come together, and, and, and there's this big hug, and there's tears, and there's I'm glad you're back, overwhelming, draining, and while running the gamut of emotions, whoo! I'm done. No, <laughs> you're just starting. Listen, here is one of the main reasons that for so many of us, we wrestle with the same issues, spiritually speaking, we struggle with the same issues over and over and over and over again in our Christian walk. It's because we start down this road of recovery. But just when we've barely started, we quit. I didn't say we quit our faith. We quit the process. And because we quit, we don't enter into true freedom. We don't find this renewed relationship with God and with other people. Nor do we experience all the joy and passion and intimacy and all the fullness of our spiritual life that God intends for us. There's no transformation. There's no freedom. Instead, we find ourselves all too often stuck. Sleeping in the proverbial spiritual basement. Submitting to God. Coming forward for prayer to submit to God is just the beginning of the road to recovery. The second component that shows up in this way to authentic recovery from spiritual adultery is to resist the devil. But we'll look at that next time. How do you apply that? I have no idea. Be easy to give an altar call. Be really hard to respond to it. It'd be really hard. Because one of the things hurdles we'd all have to get past is, ooh, everyone's going to see me and know that I need to do this again. And I've learned that that's really hard for us. It's not going to stay hard for us, though. The more we learn to trust each other, the more we know that we have each other's back, the safer it's going to be. I hope, in the way of application, I hope that today, right now, you all have that safe place, that you have that safe person. It's your small group. It's your spouse. It's in your family. Somewhere. Where you can walk away from this gathering and go, I need to submit again. The Spirit of God has pointed very clearly here, or here, or here is an area that I, I have embraced, and I need the power of God to set me free. My embrace doesn't cause God to love me any less. I don't need to earn his forgiveness back. He is jealous for me and is there with open arms. So do you have somebody to pray with and to begin the journey with because this is step one of these upcoming weeks. By the way, It lines right up with the whole soul care book. Just saying. Just stand with me. Let's pray. Father, here's how I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that you would give us courage and strength to step toward you as you're calling us to step toward you. But two, I pray in Jesus' name that as you lay people on our hearts, even right now, people on our hearts right now that are in our lives that are stuck, that we would begin praying for them so that your spirit would open their eyes to their need again to submit to the authority of God. No conversation that I have with them will make that happen. You need to open up their hearts. So call us, cause us to pray for one another, to pray for our friends, our loved ones, and be ready for the conversation that you'll bring. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless.